In the last episode, we focused specifically on the ins and outs of transfers in the post-pandemic era, considering the strategies involved and considerations for those weighing the merits of a transfer. Today, we consider the magicians behind the screen running this show who are often ignored in this equation. You, the parents. Managing these circumstances is incredibly stressful. Thus, support groups can be extremely helpful to connect with parents facing the same challenges. I'll be joined by Casey Ferriello, co-founder of Other Parents Like Me, a virtual membership platform led by parents for parents of teens and young adults struggling with mental health issues and or substances. They have daily support groups, live weekly speaker talks, and monthly expert panels, as well as thousands of resources providing a safe and anonymous space for parents and caregivers. Bessie retired from United Airlines after 26 years of service in December of 2022 to follow her passion of creating other parents like me with her co-founder, Liz Wright. She created the program of parent support groups at Inbalance Continuum of Care in Arizona in 2020, support groups that are now a part of OPLM. She's also volunteer parent coach and facilitator for the Partnership to End Addiction. She has three children that catapulted her into learning about and focusing on self-care, self-discovery, self-regulation, and her own childhood trauma. Support groups changed her life. It is her hope that OPLM will do the same for parents, journeying alongside their children as they struggle to overcome crises and other challenges. Casey, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you, Alex. I'm happy to be here. So. Could you share a little bit about your background and what got you into parent support groups? Absolutely. So I'm a mom of three kids. I have a 22-year-old, a 21-year-old, he just turned 21 on Friday, and a 19-year-old. And each of them have had struggles along the way. My oldest has dealt with severe anxiety basically her whole life and navigating through that and she's at Fordham right now and even though she's in college she's still having to navigate through the anxiety and I know that's one of your focuses and I learned much from when you came and chatted with us and it was so funny because even she'll call sometimes and say oh anxiety is lying to me again (laughs) so she says it tells you these crazy things and my middle child He suffers from not feeling worthy inside, and he has used substances as his self-medication. My youngest, he is part of the LGBTQ community. He is transgender male, and he also suffers from depression anxiety, and part of his solution in life was cutting. But he's been in recovery from cutting for a year and a half, and he is doing amazing. He's at Savannah College of Art and Design really has found kind of his path and his niche and his learning difference is that he has math dyscalculia. Mm. So he did not want help for math this past semester, but he got a D. So we're going to go with that's a win (laughs) without help. He got a D. So that's a win. (laughs) So having three kids with very unique challenges, I learned once they got to high school years, I needed to really change. My son's substance use, the older boy, really just like created a lot of chaos in the house, you know, suicidal ideation, running away. We had overdoses, multiple running away, in and out of treatment, individual 
inpatient, outpatient, until we sent him off to a wilderness program because he was on his way, honestly, Alex, towards not being with us anymore. Oh, man. This this is the youngest? This is my middle child. Oh, the middle. Oh, okay. Okay. He lost five days of his life, not oh, even wow. remembering it during one of his overdoses. And that was like oh, man. the culmination of a lot of chaos for six months. And it was just ramping and ramping and ramping. So wow. and the other two that, you know, my child with anxiety, that was really hard for her. She was at another college at the time that was really mm-hmm. struggling of not being home with all the chaos. My youngest mm-hmm. was struggling with, you know, trying to just operate throughout his day with having chaos in the house. And what we learned as a family, my husband and I, that we needed to start taking care of ourselves because the two siblings and my son, who was struggling with substances, just like really he was not feeling well about himself. So (laughs) yeah, we started going to Al-Anon. That's where we were told to go. But I had Mm, a child with anxiety. I had a child with cutting. Like I had all those things and it didn't really resonate for me. So I was support groups and then I was like, I need to do support groups that feel like they speak to me. It was a year and a half before I kind of started doing support groups for my middle child at his program in 2021. The pandemic shut things down and it just made such a difference to be able to start running support groups in what spoke to me as parents and the parents who were coming to them felt like that spoke to them. So I was like, I need to go further because there's some magic happening here. Yeah. I mean, my, my wife actually has a lot of familiarity with the Al-Anon thing and it's, I mean, it does cover sort of substance abuse. And I mean, I suppose there are some universalish messages there, I think with, I mean, how much it can consume you. I guess just loving another person to death, that whole bit. That does sound like a lot to manage. My God, juggling all three of those fairly unique situations. That must have been very taxing. It was taxing. That's why I started to, to find ways that I started to take care of myself. And I will say, Al-Anon was the first one, like you just said, the first place that said, you know, you need to take care of yourself. Then you can manage everything else. And that was really important to me to learn to take care of myself. And my kids also not seeing me fall apart anymore. Mm. My middle child and all the stuff he was going through significantly helped the other two because they're like, oh, it's okay, A, to take care of yourself. It's okay to have boundaries. It's okay to be self-regulated. Mom doesn't have to fall apart anymore and she can handle this. Whereas that Mm. added to their anxiety, seeing us not being able to handle it, you know? That's really interesting. So just switching gears for a little bit, though, could you explain kind of how that OPLM network works exactly? Yeah. So how OPLM, Other Parents Like Me, works is that there are... 17 support groups for you to go to, something that kind of speaks to you. There's a women's meeting, a solo moms, a men's meeting, trauma, like working on your trauma, again, like getting stronger for yourself so that you can be stronger for your kids. We also have speaker talks every Thursday and expert panels once a month, and those are all recorded. So as a member, you get to go watch them. 
And the cool thing about it is there's Q&A and you get to ask questions in there. And hopefully everybody else, when they watch the recording, somebody has asked a question that they wish they asked <laughs> in there. Mm-hmm. And then we mm-hmm. have searchable resources, toolkit, glossary of terms, as well as a vetted support services. So, for example, Alex is on our website as a vetted service because I think it's important as a parent to have something that speaks to me. And my peer parents, I told them, the facilitators of the groups, they also share people that have really spoken to them. So it's not just only Casey's world. <laughs> right. I think it's important as a parent to find things that fit you because one size doesn't fit all. And that's what other parents like me is about. So what other type of speakers do you have on there? Could you kind of speak to the categories that they cover or the topics? Yeah, so we have things about CRAP, which is Community Reinforcement and Family Training. And that's amazing, by the way, for me, that has a toolkit and a process to help your child and have things to do as a parent. And it has helped me with my son with cutting and my oldest with severe anxiety. So even though it says substances, it's really like, it's just such a Mm. process as a parent, like, Mm -hmm. communication that kind of a thing Mm -hmm. we had you Mm -hmm. on about talking about anxiety and tutoring and like how do you navigate that we had another one talk about executive functioning and how that affects your child's being and processing and being able to operate through school and Mm -hmm. we've had parents come on and talk we've had tech stuff about the tech trap that's Deborah Berry, and she's talking about, you know, what happened with her kid of going down the rabbit hole of tech and wow. not coming back okay. out. And then we've had really huh. industry people, Brad Reed and Chrissy Pozitek, talk about the parallel process of parenting and how to be a parent, you know, how to parent yourself. That's Brad Reed, like how to parent yourself and fix your attachment to yourself so that you're better able to help your kid. We are booked out until end of February with speakers and I'm always like looking for niche things. I'm mm-hmm. also trying to find I have someone who's gonna talk about eating disorders. I just want you to find someone oh, nice. to talk about something that right as well with you as your as a parent. Gotcha. We did have Jessica Pate on. She's part of We Are Brave Together. So her child does her physical disabilities and learning disabilities and she talked about soul care. So we're really wide on the spectrum. My hope is that you're going to come on and find something that speaks to you if you want to go watch the recordings. Okay. Are there kind of like other support groups that are linked through OPLM? So in my support directory, I have other like parent coaches. I have the partnership to end addiction. We're working on, you know, expanding it out. The Partnership to Addiction is a standalone. I am a parent coach for them. And then they have online support community meetings four days a week. And I am one of their volunteers. So I totally think that if you have someone with substances and you want to, you know, find something that kind of starts to speak to you, absolutely go check them out. Get a parent coaching through them. The Impellence Continuum of Care is where my son went. And that's where I started the support mm. in 2020. And yes, they are wrapped into us. So those families have mm. two dedicated support group meetings that are just for them. And then they get access to the other 16. So that's what we're doing wow. is continuing to help programs 
you know, have a support group without having to run it themselves. So that's one of our things. And we're working on bringing other programs in and stuff like that. An imbalanced continuum of care. What, what is that specifically? Is that, that is about boarding school? That's their first stage. Oh. Then they also have transitional living and a sober living. So they were originally more when my son was there, they were more oriented towards substances. But as I know, we've talked about the pandemic really has kind of shifted and mm. it's becoming more realized that mental health is just really driving factor. And a lot of kids are using substances as a solution. So they are focusing more on the root and the mental health stuff, which is phenomenal. I mean, it's just phenomenal because that's what our kids need. When a parent signs up with OPLM, what do they get with that membership? They get three months free and they get everything. The support groups, the speaker recordings, access to all the resources. And then you have an option yeah. of, you know, paying after that. It's 49 a month. Or you can stay basic and you just go to the, you know, speaker talks and resources. So we're not forcing you if you're not ready and comfortable. It takes, <laughs> it takes a little while for us as parents to feel comfortable to be in a support group. So we get it. So we give you some runway. Now, are there ways to contribute as a parent as well? Yes. As our parents are getting stronger, because we opened in January, I'm very excited to say that one of our parents who's been on this journey with us, new to support groups, is actually going to switch over to being a facilitator and a peer parent. And that's just... But now to me, because even though like I'm not saying her life is perfect, that there's not still chaos or anything like that, but she is gaining strength in learning to take care of herself and then she wants to pass the strength on. And I think that's one way to contribute. So she'll be she'll be facilitating the the meetings or what what do you do as a facilitator? That's what we call them peer parents join us as a facilitator. I think that's just that to me is just so empowering. The 30 people we Mm. have already, many of them came from Imbalance, about 25 of them, because they really saw the value for the two years with me running them, and now they're passing it on. So that's amazing. And then we Mm. do have a financial aid spot on our platform for people who want to donate for someone else to be able to go Mm. for a year for free if they know someone who yeah, oh. so we do have a donate page oh, that goes to financial aid for parents who can't afford it because that's important to us. Oh, that's cool. Wow. These are parents are, are all across the country, across correct? The country. Yeah. Our intent is to be global mm. one day, Alan. 24-7. So one day, whenever right. you're needing a place to land, you would have a place to just go and sit there in a support group. And you can listen. You don't even have to share your screen, by the way. You don't have to put your name on it. You can just come in and listen. And we have a topic that we talk about. All of our topics are based around self-regulation, boundaries, communication, and self-care. And all really good things for parents to kind of start to focus on so that you can stand up and not feel like you're falling apart if your kid's falling apart. (laughs) Oh, so those are, so I didn't know about that. So those four areas are the things that you focus on for parents? Like there's the skills for them to build? Is that the idea? Build or topics to talk about things that work for them. So you hear something in the room that's some sort of topic from like young Pueblo, who's a coach 
to Tiny Buddha to, like I said, the Community Reinforcement Family Training, something from NAMI, which is the National Alliance of Mental Illness. So we have lots of tools and things that have spoken to us that we bring up and then we talk about, okay, well, this worked for me. This didn't work for me. This helped me. This, how this talks to me just to kind of start to change your brain. That's all. That's great. It's good that you have that focus like that too. I think it's not really a well-studied sort of field. You know what I mean? So I feel like bringing some sort of structure to the conversation is kind of important. Yeah. Yeah. Peer-to-peer support needs to be more studied and we are doing research to show how much it helps parents. After every meeting, we have anonymous surveys of the parents and the peer parents who led it. And we're seeing Mm. how Mm. it's shifting your relationship with your child, your relationship with yourself and how much stronger Mm. you feel throughout your week and day. And we kind of have this great saying from our membership ambassador. I know you know York. He says, we're not the doctor you seek. We're not the therapist you look for. We're the gym you join so that you can make the other things more effective. Here are some things that stuck out to me in the first segment of our conversation. First, it was interesting when she was talking about how parenting can sort of be a very isolating and shameful experience. I find that definitely to be the case for any sort of number of niche issues. I mean, and they all sort of take on a different form, whether it's substance abuse or suicidal ideation, OCD, you know, whatever the particular case is with that child feels like a unique and unconquerable situation. I certainly find that to be the case with my children. And it does feel like a failure on my part as a parent. And I think that's where the shame sort of stems from for me. But she boldly sort of recounted her entire experience, you know, with all three of her kids and very difficult circumstances. But I think, you know, her ability to sort of bring that forward to the surface, bring that out of the shadows is impressive and i think that's the product of having that network of support to gain the sort of strength to really bring up those issues you know it's really kind of modern psychology at work there and i think she's far better equipped to deal with the issues that are facing her and her children as a result of that another thing that stuck out to me in our conversation was that concept of regret being a sort of fundamental part of parenting. I suppose it's part of the human condition as well. Really, parenting is sort of the condensed or concentrated version of life. As a parent, regret (laughs) on a small and large level resonates with me. Whether that's regret for not saying something correctly or not signing them up for something, versus sort of larger regrets in their life, you know, not giving them more stability when they were young, two or three, you know, moving too much. That's one of the regrets that I deal with, you know, and think about my family and what I've provided for them. I think that those regrets can be an obstacle in moving forward. Perhaps that sounds obvious, but they sound fairly immovable to me. When I look at anyone else's regrets, they seem navigatable. (laughs) I don't know if that's a word, but... It seems like that there's something that they could at least contend with, but my own sort of shortcomings feel very difficult. So I suppose, again, that's kind of the benefit of collaborating and being in one of these networks is being able to hear the stories of others, identify with those things, and being able to sort of overcome the things that feel immovable in yours. 
What is the profile of a typical kind of parent that you encounter that signs up for OPLM? The typical profile is someone who has started to get support for their kid. That's the biggest key. We don't tend to get people who are in the midst of the house is burning down and I don't know what to do. Our hope is to get those people right. in at that house is burning down and get them in a more centered place so that they have that ability right. and centeredness to be able to go get their kids support. But we typically have parents who are acknowledging that their kids need support. Their kids need to go to a therapist, outpatient, inpatient, you know, family. They're starting the fire department has arrived. They're looking at it going, oh, wait, I kind of maybe need to get mm. support for me. I'm doing all of this for my kid mm. and right. to support me because right. now they're starting to improve and I want to start to improve. And if the parents start to improve, we've actually have found and it has been proven through doing that those support groups for two years for imbalance. As you get stronger, the whole family gets stronger. Because you're yeah. not an identified patient in the house anymore. They're not the only one going to get fixed, right? You're working mm. on it too so that they're so true. learning, changing communication, changing, you know, support for themselves through, you know, suicide or cutting or whatever. You are able to change how you're communicating with, like I said, right? You're changing how you're communicating with. It's okay to hold boundaries with a child with mental health issues. That's really, for some reason, really scary for parents. They'd rather just like, if I tell them they have to do right. this, then they're going to go do something instead of like, no, your kids are oh my God. Or they're looking for the guardrails. They're looking for guardrails because they know if you're giving them guardrails that they're going to be able to trust you while they're struggling, that there'll be guardrails up to you, you know, support them. So that's our typical, but our hope is to get parents who are just starting to think like I need to do something. Right. Got it for myself. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's a really important point. I would say with parenting, the best way that you can impact kind of your child's experience is to, to focus on yourself I, I mean, because they learn from yes. role models, right? I mean, you can talk yourself blue in the face, you know, and, and, and give them long lectures and you know and i think that's kind of the focus is like well maybe if i say this in the right way right. you know <laughs> maybe if i if i find the right way i can finally break through to them and explain to them that maybe this isn't such a good right. idea <laughs> like maybe maybe you shouldn't do this maybe you shouldn't smoke pot maybe you shouldn't you know whatever the behavior is hit right. your brother <laughs> like even on the most basic level for the most part, that's just ineffective. It's just not a good way of communicating. It just doesn't work because you don't learn from what you hear. You learn from what you see and experience. Learning is imitation first. So as a parent, the best thing you can be is that as a role model. I mean, to use your life as the example. Now that's hard. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it, at least me personally, I, I tend to kind of avoid that because it's the more difficult path. It's like it's easier to just talk and say you should do this differently <laughs> without without addressing very deeply ingrained and maybe things that are broken in me. And they absolutely 100% are watching you. And that's a big advantage of more parents, right. I think, working from home is especially if you have a child in school, if you're showing time management for yourself, 
you're not falling apart at the yeah. end of the day because this didn't happen, that didn't happen. If they yeah. see you actually eating lunch. Right. Oh, uh-huh. yeah. It's, a big, yeah, it's, think it's really important to do. Yeah. I guess I oftentimes think that I'm sort of invisible to them. That those like negative, you know, things I just kind of like brush under the carpet and be like, don't look over here, kids. But I mean, maybe those are the things that stick out to them. Agreed. Oh, yeah. Well, and if you go around screaming Uh, and yelling about, you know, the person that I just worked with and blah, blah, blah. And I had this someone say this really great aha moment for me. If it does not look fun to adults, your child is not going to want to adult. They're going. Right. <laughs> if you're making it look like it's right. miserable being an adult. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I mean anything, right? If you say eat your vegetables and you're not eating any vegetables. Yeah. I mean <laughs> you know, but I mean how do you take a message seriously? You know, teaching kids about that to me is like one of the most important things you can do. I agree. And and you're doing um, it as a parent, so, your kid is more likely to do it for themselves. Could you share any recent sort of success stories of parents of OPLN and kind of like what yeah. helped them? Well, I, I mentioned the one person who um, she's taking this and going to be giving back and starting to be a peer parent as a facilitator herself. What I mm. find amazing is we have a mom with a 10 year old and a mom with a 20 year old and one has substances, one has suicidal ideation. They can both be in the same meeting and get a lot out of it from each other. That is so mm-hmm. powerful to me that I always thought that like my child, their thing, I need to go to a person who matches my child specifically in a box. And what we found is that that's not true, that everybody has the mm. same stuff going on them mm-hmm. no matter what's going mm-hmm. on for their kid mm-hmm. and they have walked away right. saying that when they leave a support group they walk away lighter and happier and that they call appeal in their home mm-hmm. it's their safe place to be and i think that's pretty mm-hmm. successful mm-hmm. That's quite, mm-hmm. like amazing i'm just like wow <laughs> and was that the case with this speaker that that that's that's group. what she said I, I meant the parent you were talking about the parent that has converted into a facilitator. facilitator. That's also the was that something that yeah. was that something that she said when she had joined the group? She or? calls it her home that it saved her. OPLM has saved her. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. okay. All right. So, what are some of the challenges, I guess, facing a parent with a child of an alternative psych or learning profile? Well, you said it already. You get stuck in the aloneness and that you're the only hamster in the wheel trying to help instead of mm-hmm. that you are not alone in this and that if you step out of being alone and going into places where you can meet other people who have had similar challenges, you start to find solutions. Otherwise, all you're doing is like, you just are like, well, that doesn't work. That's it. like, you just, experts are telling you what to do, right? Sorry, Alex, but all the experts are telling you what to do. And no, you're no, like, no. That's not working. That's not working. That's no, not working. That's not working. And so by yeah. taking yourself into a place where you're not alone and you can hear from other people who've been in that experience and what worked for them, what worked didn't work for them, it gives you such an opening of, of multiple things to try. And that's 
Mm-hmm. You really mm-hmm. get stuck in, I'm going to say this word, terminal uniqueness, that it's only us who are dealing with this behind our four walls. Right. When you step out and are open to sharing what's going on with you and listening to others sharing. It doesn't mean that the challenges are taken away. There's still stuff going on. You know, if your kid has autism, your kid has Prader Willies, your kid has ADHD, your kid has substance, they're not going away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you are finding more tools and more ways to walk alongside them instead of like pulling them along, fixing them, and being able to take care of yourself. Interesting. You mentioned that there's a lot of experts that kind of like are telling you. Well, it's, it's all about this or it's all about X or it's all about Y or, you know, and this is the way to, you know, solve it. There's hundreds and thousands, I would say, of experts, mm-hmm. <laughs> self-proclaimed and otherwise. And I'd say I think this is almost true of every field, too. And I think this is somewhat of an Internet phenomenon. I don't know if, if you're like me, but I mean, if I, you know, want to figure out how to kill moles in the backyard, it's, you know, who do you ask? I mean, you can ask Google and then the first 10 hits you get are all like, we'll tell you what to do. And then at the end of our article, we'll try to sell you mole traps. You know, it's, (laughs) so it's, it's really, that's the negative, I guess, of the internet era is that there's infinite information out there, but you just don't know what to trust. You know, when you're, when you're talking about your kids, when there's so much at stake, it's not something you ignore. I can maybe ignore the mole tunnels in my backyard. I can't ignore the fact that my kids right. struggle. Yeah. What I've learned as a parent along the way is to trust my gut. That's why I go to support groups myself. That's why I go to multiple experts. I read different books. But what I do mm-hmm, is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I then filter that through my parent brain and, and go, okay, well, because each child is different too, right? Like one size doesn't fit all. So I need to filter it for my youngest, my middle, and my oldest of, okay, those tools, those suggestions, that might work with my oldest, that might work with my youngest, that's not going to work with my middle. Like, and that's a big part of why I say, like, it's important yeah. to be open because you never know what expert's going to speak to you, what's parents going to say, oh, this worked for me, or this didn't work for me, or that's going to, that's going to land and resonate with you. I think that's powerful. Right. Yeah. No, intuition's important. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the only way to, I think, to evaluate the options. You know, the way to deal with that in the internet era is, well, you have to talk to people. I mean, that's how I find good services. The word of mouth thing, it just tends to be a better channel for finding good services and weeding through the crap. Because if you just do Google and then you, you, click on the first link, like sometimes that'll work, but I mean, it's like, it's, it's, it's really a shot in the dark. So I just feel like a network like yours can help point parents in the right direction. um, That's also the beauty of going into support groups, right? So 10 people, let's say used Alex. And then, you know, this is, Oh my gosh, Alex talked about this (laughs) and this really worked. Like you get, you, you, that's what the topics can lead you on. Like this is, like what an expert says, right, right. And you can hear everybody's kind of take on it, yep. And that's so, yep, freeing because you're hearing other people using their intuition, and we feel so caught. I think as parents, and I'm glad to hear you also do this with your as a parent. We get so caught in like, oh, the experts yeah. are know what to do. That's what the, I need to know what that is, 
And then mm-hmm. you get in a situation mm-hmm. like yeah. I did with my son, where I wrap him up with his taco. And it, what didn't feel good in my gut, but I went with the experts. And so I learned to go wow. with my gut. Right. Okay, that expert right. is that. I can take right. A and B, but I'm not doing C. Here are a couple things that stuck out to me in the second segment of my conversation with Casey. First of all, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about how really parenting is about improving as a parent and using your own life as an example for the child. I'm not sure that can be overemphasized. You know, as I mentioned, education really is about imitation and then kind of learning to do it on your own. You watch or you hear, you experience that thing and then you try to do it on your own. But you can't skip that imitative step to learn something. Otherwise, where are you going to start, right? And that's why we talk about role models. Like you are using that model as a starting point for you know whatever behavior that's going to be, whether it's substance, anxiety, you know, and obviously positive role models too, commitment, dedication. So unfortunately, in that formula, it really does fall on the parent to self-improve which is, again, kind of the harder task to accomplish. You know, it's much easier to say what should happen versus actually do it for ourselves. But I think that's an important reminder. That's something I wish I could remind myself a little bit more, you know, because I tend to forget, maybe it's intentional, but I do forget, you know, that I am really at the center of their view. And as a model, everything I do is in the spotlight. Another point that stuck out to me was the impact of the internet for services, basically for everything, right? I mean, I talked a lot about the moles in my backyard, but it's very difficult to know who to trust and the stakes are very high. So we tend to kind of fall back on, you know, this network or the networking sort of sense of things. So when we're looking at landscaping options, You know, for our property, we wanted to put in a line of trees. We asked the realtor and then they gave us somebody. But there's no guarantee that that person isn't that much better than, you know, the first hit on Google. There is a lot of guesswork, I guess, involved in finding the right service. But I guess it's all the more important to sort of experiment and see. But you got a nibble, <laughs> right? I mean, because, you know, Casey brought up the example of the glorified straitjacket situation with her child. You don't want that. You don't want to have to experience that. So demo things, if you can do trials or, you know, get to know that person or have a conversation with, you know, whatever resource that is first. I think that's always going to be advisable before you jump in. By the same token, you know, at some point you do need to jump in the pool to learn how to swim. So going through the trial. You're never really going to know the quality of a service, I guess, until you actually try it out. So I guess there's a kind of a balance to be struck between those two things. And it's very difficult. But I spent a lot of time online Googling, for example, on the landscaping. I mean, I must have gone through 10 or 15 different landscapers, you know, calling, emailing. You know, I'm a little crazy about it, but it can be a really long anxiety provoking (laughs) process. But that's just what it is in the internet era. How has the pandemic impacted your network? And I think you mentioned you started this year, right? At the beginning of this year. So what has the uh, pandemic done to your network? I would never have started the support group back in 2020 for Imbalance if we didn't have a pandemic and nobody could go visit their kids and because our Mm. kids were away. And so that impacted it. And then it created 
an amazing community family of who never saw each other. Like I've never seen a lot of the people I call friends ever in my life. <laughs> and that's a change. Yeah. That's a huge change. I think that's a big part of why we knew that we wanted to build this network was before then. I would never have known how connected I could feel to someone just through a video screen. So that's really impacted our network. Mm. It's expanded what is available for us and it expands a world. It expands it to that you don't just have to live in New Jersey like me. So you can meet someone in mm -hmm. California and you can meet someone in Mexico and you can meet someone in Canada and you can meet someone in Michigan, you know, and, and you're all having the same thing in it. And what it's done is it's taken and made the world so much smaller and more intimate because you can talk to people all over the United States. And unfortunately, I hate to say this, but for some of us as parents, we don't want to always like physically see the people locally because we're afraid of a judgment. It's just kind of a fear thing. So that pandemic has opened up our world. Yeah. Feel that we can talk to somebody. We, we have, we have a support like everywhere. It's really cool. Well, I mean, I imagine that the pandemic, we, we sort of spoke about this earlier, but it's been pretty isolating. I've, I've certainly felt that way. It's cut off a lot of the typical social connections. And really, if I'm going to be honest, it's sort of reduced my courage in dealing with fellow humans and fellow parents. So and I noticed that that was something that kind of happened during the pandemic, even on just a basic like eye contact mm -hmm. level. You know, if I'm again, if I'm being honest about my own experience. So, yeah, again, it, it increases the importance of the type of networking that you're talking about, I think, which is. Difficult to find, ironically, when you're talking about the internet. Are there trends that you're noticing that parents should be aware of? Unfortunately, one of the trends that I've noticed is that parents who have young kids, little kids, who would have already been socialized, have not had, have they lost yeah. a couple years of socialization? So what I know is that what we're creating now is going to just continue and be more and more needed because we don't even know what the mental health ramifications are for these kids who didn't have that social time. I mean, it can't be a good thing, you know, arrested development Agreed. like that. And, and then the same thing with all the teenagers and the fifth graders, sixth graders who are coming into their high school mm -hmm. years. They've been isolated from that space and that way to interact and they've been hiding in their mental health room and um, mm. it's just it, it's just going to become more obvious and just I invite parents to just watch and be aware and have open conversations with your kids yeah and I mean when you're one and a half that doesn't quite matter I mean because you're just at home with your parents anyways when you're 10 at least you can be online I mean it's not great but I mean when you're four like that that sector of the population I've really am worried about, you know, five to 10 years from now, like what impact is that going to have when they just kind of skipped that whole phase of, yeah. of psychological development? I mean, it's not like you can rewind with the brain. It's not like you, or, or really right. even pause. <laughs> right? It's like, just take, just take a year off brain, you know, we'll get back to you. I just don't think it works that way. 
<laughs> if you had one parting piece of advice for parents with kids with alternative needs, what would, what would that be? That it's okay to seek help. It's not, you haven't done something wrong. You're not a bad person because you have a child with an alternative need. And it doesn't mean that mm. you need to be alone. I just don't, no. I, 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 I just wish that I could get parents to really understand within themselves that just because I have a child with ADHD, just because I have a child with autism, just because I have a child with substance use, uh, cutting, anxiety, depression, does not mean that you've done something wrong. You just have to learn to navigate with a person, with a child and a person who has that. And there's no like what to expect, what you were, when you were expecting book that says, this is what you do. <laughs> so that, right. So, so right. continue to we have that explore book. and understand. Yeah. And don't try, don't try to do it alone. Here are some final thoughts after my conversation with Casey. What's interesting and what we brought up in the final segment in particular was the impact of the pandemic on the future of this generation. The tendency is to think, well, we can just kind of resolve things, you know, in the short term and it'll get better. So, for instance, with my four-year-old, you know, well, we'll just send him to school, socialize him and, and everything will be fine. And I guess part of how we sleep at night is <laughs> having that thought. But really, I think the impacts of arrested development are probably going to be lifelong for him. And, you know, I know I kind of point out that that's not as important for a one and a half year old or a 10 year old, but it is. I mean, I think a socialization at any age is going to be traumatic on a pretty fundamental psychological scale. So I expect those impacts to last decades and perhaps will be permanent qualities, you know, of the next generation. It's a sad truth, but it's real. Another final observation has to do with the online nature of these communities, which the pandemic has created for better or worse. The better is, you know, as Casey pointed out, you don't need to show up in person. And so you can sort of overcome that shame a little bit easier by just opening a browser versus you know, having to walk in somewhere in person. That's a little bit more of a risk. So it does make it easier and you're able to connect with people across the globe, across the country, you can find your tribe, so to speak. However, there is a bit of depersonalization in that as well. It's a fundamentally different experience to interact online. I think we all say at this point, having had that experience in various mediums and formats. If you've never met somebody before and only virtually, that's just a different sort of feel to that. Actually seeing them in flesh and blood, three-dimensionality of a person, I think is more organic, it's more real. So there is that downside, I guess, of not having that experience, even if you're talking about virtual reality, too. I mean, I suppose you could say that is three dimensional, right, technically. But, you know, there's something to be said for person to person interaction, even if it's just a brief introduction and then you sort of migrate to online. To me, that's kind of the ideal because you have the convenience of online, but also the realness of actually meeting that person.